Welcome to Meet the Church. This is a podcast from Providence Church in Austin, featuring a new person each week from our congregation. We're excited to discuss the work, interests, and testimonies of our church members to better get to know each other and to talk about experiences with God. I'm Ryan Atulo, and this week I get to talk with Oliver Shuttlesworth about the art of comedy writing, the local soda company he launched, and his winding journey to faith. So Oliver, I understand you wrote some jokes for the Providence 10-year reunion party. Can you tell me about that? What was your process for writing these jokes? Yeah, um, it was fun when Kendall asked me to be part of that process. Um, There were a group of us that were asked to write some jokes and um, really just kind of tried to think of things that I thought were true or uh true with some exaggeration and could be you know i think felt by the wider audience or related to by the wider church audience and and this was not your first stab at writing jokes you have performed before right stand-up comedy tell me about that You, you you've done that locally you 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 did that uh before moving to austin Yes. Well, so actually, I um, a buddy of mine moved to Chicago, and he had been going through uh, some programs at um, Second City, which is you know obviously renowned for um, the pipeline of talent that it's created in the comedy world over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to visit him for a weekend, and he happened to be doing an open mic in Chicago and asked me if I wanted to take part in that. And so um, he was working during the day, and I just went and sat by um, Lake Michigan and started to hammer out jokes throughout the course of the day and, uh, got up with him, um, after he had finished his set and started to read off some of my jokes and got some decent, uh, laughs for, you know, the first time that I had done it. And, um, there was a guy there who I guess was fairly prominent on the Chicago stand-up scene and came up to me and told me that I had done a, a good job. And, um, at that point, I think just, some positive reinforcement and then uh the feeling of being up and performing was uh was something i really enjoyed and so i came back to well i've lived in austin for a good while but um just started performing at open mics around town um at cold town comedy club and then cap city comedy club um just going and doing as much as i could uh for a little over a year um i was doing that wow new new jokes throughout the year were you continuing writing or was it the same same material i think uh you know what you find when you go through the when you're there weekly is a lot of the same a lot of the same people show up and a lot of the same people tell the same jokes (laughs) because they're they're refining and trying to get to you know a great five or ten or fifteen minute set and sure. so they're just they're just refining and polishing jokes over and over. Um, I had been doing it for such a short time that most of the jokes that I was writing um, were new. There were a handful that I stumbled upon that were, you know, 
easy laughs and uh you know stand up jokes so um i would pepper in some of those that i knew uh would get a laugh and then just constantly test new things what what's the key to writing or well I, i'll ask it separately what's the key to writing a good joke and then after you write it how do you how do you deliver it well yeah, I think, um, you know, the key for me, at least, was, well, and I think in a lot of cases, it's true that the best jokes come from personal experience and sure. or lived experience. And so um, I think the ability to take something that is real and either tell it with a great delivery or embellish the truth of what has happened or add an alternate ending and spin that into something um, that you believe will, will get a laugh, um, is really where the best jokes are formed. And, and in my opinion as well, um, things that, uh, circling back to the top, uh, joke on the list that I wrote for Providence, uh, for some degree of uncomfortability, uh, because what you're saying is true. <laughs> so, um, I think there's a lot of that, um, in comedy and really, smart and effective comedians are able to deliver those jokes in a way that um, I think probably force introspection in some way, or you can't help but laugh because you know what's being said is true. Um, and so I think that's, you know, that was the, the interesting part of being on the comedy circuit for a while was watching um, these gifted comedians kind of refine their jokes and, and run through the process of delivery. Um, and, you know, they might be able to tell that what they're saying um, is effective, but how they're saying it didn't land. And so next week they would come with a new delivery. And so mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is feeding off of the audience and just just seeing which parts of your joke are landing and then um, really emphasize those in your delivery uh, for the best result. That's fun. Moving on to your line of work you are an entrepreneur who has started three companies um we'll dig in at all three of those but just kind of briefly give me an overview of the three companies that you have started yeah um so the first company that i started was called esperos um i started that when i was about 24 or 25 um back in 2012 and that was kind of at the moment in time where Tom's Shoes was reaching its cultural apex. And um, a lot of people probably don't know at this point, but Warby Parker had launched with a social impact mission where they would provide a pair of glasses with every glass, a pair of glasses that they sold. And there was a lot of focus, I think, at the time on um, creating social impact um, through commerce. And when I looked at that, um, I didn't see anyone or any any company that was addressing uh, education. And that to me is obviously like the most fundamental way uh, to create change and impact, um, specifically in low GDP countries. And so um, I, I thought, if no one is doing this, maybe I'll do it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I guess that takes a degree of uh, insanity, probably. Um, but so I was working in advertising at the time and, um, did not like my job. And I essentially decided, uh, that if I tried and failed, then I could always go back and get another job that I didn't like just as much as my last one. 
and no downside at that point exactly and i was young and single and stupid and i didn't know what i didn't know and it was a lot easier to try and fail than to not try at all um and so yeah the the mission behind that company was every product that we sold um would help fund access to education for children um in these different countries ranging from Haiti to Guatemala to Honduras to Kenya. And we partnered with nonprofits on the ground who really knew how to distribute funds um, to the community in a, a meaningful and effective way. And so I um, started that out of my apartment, started designing backpacks um, with no experience in design um, and went through the prototyping process, launched those uh, still think back to the piles and piles of backpacks that were littered across my apartment. Um, and ultimately I had, had grown that, uh, business to, you know, seven figures in sales with, uh, distribution across, I think we were four continents and about 15 or 16 countries. Um, and I think one of the things that was most impactful about that business was the mission. And it was really exciting and, um, amazing to see, you know, from, countries like China to Germany to Argentina and throughout the United States, people rallying behind this idea of um, carrying hope, which was sort of the, the slogan of the company, um, because the the name itself for that business comes from the Spanish verb esperar, which means to hope. And so um, for a variety of reasons, I ultimately parted ways with the company um, in 2017 and from there, I went to start a personal care brand called Curie. And the idea behind that business was the power of smell or the sense of smell um, is tied so uh, powerfully to memories. Um, and I thought that would be really interesting uh, to create fragrances that were inspired by places that people might have traveled to. Um, and so I was randomly like Googling uh, things about perfume and perfume artistry in the United States and stumbled upon, uh, I think it was a small like group of independent perfumers in America. And I reached out to the CEO and told her what I was thinking about. And she basically came back and was like, well, I know a few people that you might want to talk to who could help you in this. And she put me in touch with an absolutely brilliant perfumer who is an an anesthetist who uh, I believe is how you say it, but she essentially could look at a photo of something and recreate the smell to a level of exactitude uh, that was incredible. And uh, for example, like my my wife and I, Rochelle, and I had um, gone to Mexico and stayed in this property in Merida. And there was a huge, like incredible garden um beautiful uh flowers and everything everywhere and um i sent a photo of the place and asked could you try to recreate the smell based off of what you see here and i am not lying when i say we got the sample back and it smelled exactly the way that our hotel room smelled (laughs) it was it was um it was truly like a magical experience of, of having that and so Ultimately, she created five fragrances, um, one inspired by the Pacific Northwest, one inspired by um, that Mm -hmm. property in Mexico, uh, one inspired by Big Bend. And um, 
a couple others that she made for us. But anyway, it was just uh, the idea was that we would take those smells and create products, uh, shampoo, conditioner, body wash, etc. Um, re- realistically, I started this business uh, mostly because the margins are absurd. <laughs> you know, you, you can make something and specifically within perfume, um, you know, it might cost you like $7 to make a perfume and you can sell it for $150. So, you know, if you go out and buy a, a designer perfume, um, just know that you're paying about $145 more than it costs to make, um, which hopefully makes everybody feel amazing. <laughs> no, but I, I think I started that company kind of for the wrong reasons. I wasn't, I, I loved the idea of this um, ability to connect customers uh, to memories. And I thought that was very interesting, but uh, probably ultimately it was mostly um, inspired by this idea that, you know, the, the margins were really amazing and could be supported um, through online growth. And um, I was actually, uh, accepted into a retail accelerator in New York and went uh, to go through that program. And as we were kind of unpacking the idea there and really walking through the economics of scaling that business and um, building that brand, because obviously like the world of cosmetics and personal care, um, there's a lot of money flowing through that space and a lot of major players um, with a lot of money to spend. And so uh, the feedback was essentially, you know, this is going to take a lot of money um, to get up and running and to to see through to the end. And do you really want to do that? Um, and so I kind of realized at that point, like, I, I don't actually know that I'm passionate enough about this to want to go through this. Um, but I do have this other idea that I've been sitting on. And at that point, kind of pitched what was the very like early, early um, idea for what became MyOL. Um, and, and that and that's the company that y- you're involved with now, right? The, the latest of the three. Yes, correct. Um, so yeah, so MyOL um, was born in this, uh, I very like, luckily got introduced. I was actually, so I was living in New York at the time. I came back uh, for the weekend to visit Rochelle um and i had a flight booked to mexico city to go down and start doing some research uh because the hero ingredient of uh, my ol and what i was looking at at the time is agave and so i was going down to do some more research in mexico um, meet with people there and i had reached out to a friend of mine who has done a lot of work in central and south america and kind of explained what i was doing and asked if he knew anybody um, that I should speak with. And he was like, if you are thinking about doing anything at all with agave, you have to talk to this guy, Vicente. And so stroke of luck, he reached out to this, he connected us through, I think, Facebook um, and said, hey, you two should really talk. Got onto a video call, um, had a great for, you know, initial 45 minute hour long conversation, um, really related, you know, Vicente's entire background is in social impact. And um, he was actually like an extremely early pioneer in the mezcal industry. Um, so much so that like when he was talking about it in Mexico, everybody was like, you're insane. No one's ever going to drink mezcal. You didn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Lo and behold, 10 years after he sold his brand, it's the hottest spirit in uh, the world, arguably. And, um, yeah. So anyway, we got connected. He actually ended up being, um, 
the next week in New York. And so I said, okay, well, cancel my trip to Mexico City. I'm going to come back to New York. Uh, we spent the week together, um, just getting to know each other better, walk through what our idea uh, could be for, again, what would become MyOL, and decided at the end of that week that we wanted to partner together um, and build this thing. Fantastic. And tell me why I should drink MyOL. What, g- give, me, give me a little plug. Myowell. Yeah, so um, you know, MyOL is the first prebiotic beverage uh, to use organic hand harvested agave that has been shown to improve gut health. So, if you're one of the numerous people that have ever walked by somebody sipping on kombucha and seen the scoby and been like, "You're drinking that," um, and thought, "There's got to be a better way to improve my gut health that that tastes good as well." Um, then you're in luck because there is now MyOL for you. Um, but essentially, prebiotics are fiber that pass through the body undigested, um, where then they ferment in the colon to do a variety of things. Um, but it's in most essentially feed the healthy gut bacteria um, that is naturally occurring in your body. And so it has a host of benefits, helps boost metabolism, improve your digestive health, um, helps boost your immunity, and also helps like improve your cognitive function um, because of the gut-brain connection uh, being so strong. So there's all of that. There's also the fact that like if you don't drink it, I will be deeply personally offended. Uh, so I think um, if you really want to knock out two birds with one stone, you can go to uh, Honest Mary's and you can pick up one of our sodas uh, while you enjoy a delicious Nelly's bowl. Great. I will. Uh, I'll be on the lookout next time I'm at the store. Um, didn't see it at H E B this morning, but you said it could be coming soon. Um, yeah, not yet at H E B. We're working out the final details with their team about doing a small pilot. But you can find us at Central Market and Whole Foods around Austin. Oliver, how long have you been going to Providence? Long have we been going to Providence? We've been going to Providence since two thousand fourteen, two thousand thirteen. 2013. <laughs> I, I forget. Yeah, somewhere in there. And, and you would say you've been a Christian for how long? Before then? Yes, uh, briefly before then. I think, um, you know, I, I grew up going to church um, through high school. I really, you know, I think there were some things that happened along the way um, early on uh, when I was probably eight or nine, um, when we were going to church, the pastor at the church that we were going to had an extramarital affair with the secretary at the church. And predictably, that kind of uh, tanked that church and yeah. sort of sent my parents and myself uh, or my family um, kind of wandering through trying to find a new church and what we would do. Um, and then. Um, when I was, I guess, 15 or 16, one of my good friends, um, his mom got cancer and passed away. And at the time, like, I just remember thinking, like, there's, if, if God is good, like, God would not allow this to happen. And right. um, just had a lot of, I think, like, anger and sadness about that. And so through church or not through church, through college, you know, I kind of was sporadically involved. I would uh, show up from time to time at different crew events and 
never like totally felt like that uh, fit me. I think there was a uh, prominent focus on the frat community and maybe rightfully so, or that was pivoted to, and that was super my scene. And so I was sort of at the fringes, um, although I did get introduced to my uh, best friend, Jimmy through that. And he's, you know, he's played a really prominent role uh, in the growth of my faith. And through my early twenties as well, I was just kind of, you know, intermittently uh, poking my nose into (laughs) Christianity and kind of just think, you know, not, not really ever seriously entertaining it. Um, I think at the time I had a lot of, uh, I don't know, I guess like criticism for the church in America, a lot of things that I saw that I viewed as being uh, extremely hypocritical or um, incongruent with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think there's a lot of merit to those criticisms uh, to be clear, but I do think, um, you know, at the same time I was kind of also struggling to, to marry up, scientific truths with gospel truths and scripture. And, um, I think around like 2011, 2012, my sister-in-law or my now sister-in-law gave me a copy of the science of God. And that was a really instrumental book in, um, in my life. I think just like seeing this renowned scholar, um, MIT professor, brilliant man, like walking through how you know scripture and science are actually like seamlessly interwoven versus at odds um with with each other was um yeah extremely impactful on me and so at the same time i'd been starting to have conversations with some other people jimmy among them just about the fact that you have to separate you know the 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 church which is even though it, it is so obviously tied to to Christ, like there's there's so much room for human error within the church, and you you have to be able to separate um, the truth of the gospel from the church, and so all of those things kind of coalesced, I guess, at Jimmy's wedding, <laughs> which was uh, interesting. So like just being there throughout that weekend, and it was a really uh, really beautiful time, like very spirit filled. Um, and I think just sitting there and being like, yeah, this is, this is what I want. Um, and kind of started to take it more seriously from there. I, I, I want to ask you circling back to the entrepreneur in you, uh, it's Sparrow, the first company, the bag company that you launched is going well. And then something happened beyond your control. You got involved with somebody who did not have maybe your best interests at heart. If you can kind of walk me through what happened there and then how that impacted your faith or how you used your faith to get through that trying period. Yeah. um, I mean, certainly a difficult uh, season of life without a doubt. Um, I think, you know, we, I had been, bootstrapping the business for a good while and had reached a point where it really required outside capital um, to to begin to scale the business. And so I was introduced to someone that um, was trusted by other people who were involved in the company at the time. And um, 
I kind of blindly trusted them and in hindsight kind of went against my gut in doing so. Um, but ultimately, you know, I can't, can't speak a lot about the specifics of the situation, but essentially it was just a partnership that, um, that was not a good fit. And, um, there were things that I was uncomfortable with, um, that I saw happening. And so a lot of that was, I think, naivety at the time. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a simple kid from South Texas and there is a way of doing business that I think is right and upstanding and having to come to terms with the fact that, um, not everyone does business the same way. Yeah. And so, you know, ultimately it kind of led to a fairly messy, uh, divorce from that company, which is obviously, you know, difficult to go through when it's something that you've poured, uh, a lot of time and uh, blood and sweat into and um you know it was and you're you have people that you've brought in that you know that you, you're you feel responsible to um sure. but essentially i was i was sort of encouraged um to move on by a few people actually at, at providence you know jason collins was extremely helpful to me, uh, during this time of life, Ashwin Rao as well. Um, there were a lot of people, uh, at Providence who were extremely helpful in going through, um, this situation, whether it was just like people to, to speak with and confide in or people who had really practical advice. Um, so I think during that time though, um, you know, there's a lot of anger that came up and a lot of hurt. Um, but at the same time, there was a lot of trust in God that, you know, he would ultimately provide for us. And uh, strangely, like, I think, uh, truly the, the most close I've ever felt to him. And so I think in the midst of all of this chaos and not knowing how things will unfold, um, you know, I think there was just a lot of trust that it would unfold. Um in a way, or, or that we would be all right, you know, at the end of the day, however it played out, we would be okay. And so there's comfort in that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it took me uh, at least a year to recover from that. Um, wow. Emo emotionally, mentally, you know, to try to regain confidence in myself um, was an ongoing battle. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough, tough time. Yeah, yeah. Man. Um understand you're a pretty good basketball player and still still play quite a bit i do i dabble i dabble uh <laughs> I, I um yeah i have been i mean my my parents like to joke that i was born with a ball in my hand um mm -hmm. i think i've been playing since i was competitive fairly competitively since well as competitively as one can play at the age of five um but i've been playing competitively since then um you know through high school had an opportunity to go uh, up to the Northeast and play for a small college. But as we all know, there, there's not an enormous market for six foot tall white guys uh, in the professional leagues who are moderately athletic. So I thought, um, I decided to, to hang it up uh, at least in the 
the organized sports world um, and go to UT instead. But um, I played uh, intramurals through college, won a championship, still have a picture, I believe, hanging in the, the halls of Gregory, um, which is a claim to fame. And uh, then I've continued to play in some organized uh, leagues throughout Austin and have a group that I play pick up with probably three or four times a week. Oh, wow. How would you describe your game? Shooter or? Yeah, you know, at this point, at this point, uh, more of a shooter. And uh, I mean, yeah, a little bit all around, but definitely more of a shooter uh, now that I'm getting up long in the tooth as they say how old are you 34 okay okay yeah that's uh if you're in the nba you'd you'd be in your final years by now that's my prime which is shocking to think about whenever you see someone like lebron who is just absolutely destroying people um and i look at myself i'm like i accidentally lifted something wrong and my back is gone for the week now well oliver i appreciate your time thank you for sharing your story with us um enjoy the rest of your day yeah thank you you too next week we will be hearing from tom gibson as he interviews austin pilot thank you for listening